I have been knowing Pastor Jamal now since the first day, I, I would say, of his arrival. Uh, when he was serving here, even as youth pastor, I had the privilege of coming and preaching, and then he invited me back to preach again. So, so Pastor, thank you uh, just for the opportunity to know this wonderful body of believers. Thank God for who you are in Christ, for who you are in my life as a brother and as a friend and as an encourager. You are just a joy to me. And so I just thank God for the opportunity to be able to share his word on this, your fifth year uh, pastoral anniversary. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise for your pastor. I'm also thankful that his mentor is down here from Lansing, Michigan. Uh, Dr. Stan, Pastor Stan, is, has, has impacted Jamal in such a way that you can see the humility of his pastor has not fallen short of the humility of your, your pastor. And I think that's what it takes. If you're going to be in pastoral ministry, there's one quality that a pastor must possess, and that is humility. Amen. In fact, there was an African theologian by the name of St. Augustine that was asked, what are the three attributes of a minister? What makes a theologian? And he said, well, the first attribute of a minister or what makes a theologian is humility. He said the second attribute of a minister or what makes a theologian is humility. And then he said the third attribute is humility. And see, when you walk with the Lord, one of the things that I've noticed is that he creates in our hearts a desire for humility. Amen? Thank God for my wife, Tracy. She was acknowledged earlier by Pastor Nate. My, she is my helpmeet, my best friend, my, my covenant partner who exercises covenant faithfulness to the Lord and to me. And she is my covenantal friend as well. So I just thank God for who she is in Christ in my life. My three sons, Anthony, raise your hand. Timothy, raise your hand. Going in order, Tristan, raise your hand. Most affectionately known as AT&T. They're always making connections <laughs> for the gospel. <laughs> Little fellas. My son would tell me later on, Daddy, you, you weren't cool. That wasn't cool. He always calls me out. Amen. If you have a Bible, turn with me to the book of Acts. And I do thank God for all the brethren who serve here in pastoral leadership. Pastor Maceo, Pastor Nate. Thank God for our intern. And I say our intern because Jared is serving as an intern here at this fellowship. And he's also an intern through the Kentucky Baptist Convention. So I thank God for his servant leadership here. And just the relationship that he has to this church. And God is good to us. Amen. Acts chapter 15. We'll start our reading at verse 36. And we'll read down to verse 41. And then we'll keep reading at chapter 16 and stop at verse and I'll read from the Holman Christian Standard uh, Bible. After some time had passed, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers in every town where we have preached 
the message of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take along with John, take along John Mark. But Paul not to, <clears throat> excuse me, but Paul did not think it appropriate to take along this man who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone on with them to the work. There was such a sharp disagreement that they parted company, and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed off to Cyprus. Then Paul chose Silas and departed, after being commended to the grace of the Lord by the, by the brothers. He traveled through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Then he went down to Derbe and Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman, but his father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke highly of him. Paul wanted this man, Timothy, to go with him. So he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, since they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled through the towns, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. For a little while, I'd like to place a tag upon this text. Faithfulness is the building block for Christian service. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Father, we pause right now thanking you for your great grace and your mercy and for the privilege to be able to open up and to uh, preach your word. Father, we pray that your son, Jesus Christ, would be glorified and that through the power of the Holy Spirit, the word of God would convict our hearts, would transform our hearts from the inside out. And as a result of being transformed, Father, we would leave this place but never your presence with the desire to see individuals come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. God, we ask you to strengthen me, your servant, as we seek to preach your word to your people for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm a native, I guess in a very real sense, of Kentucky because I was born in Kentucky, Fort Knox, Kentucky, circa 41 years ago. But my family is from Little Rock, Arkansas. So all of my family pretty much is from eastern Arkansas. My dad grew up in a little town in eastern Arkansas called Bisco, and it's about 500 members in Bisco, Arkansas, people in Bisco, Arkansas. In fact, in Bisco, Arkansas, they have uh, four streets. One street is called Front Street. The other streets are called Side Street. And and the final street is called Back Street. <laughs> I kid you not. And so my dad grew up there, my mom grew up there, and then my dad joined the military, and so I lived all over, you know, lived in Texas, lived in Oklahoma, lived in Alabama, I lived in Virginia, we lived in Germany, just a military brat, shooting all over. But my home, if you have to ask, where, where would I consider home if I started clicking my feet like Dorothy saying there's no place like home, I would probably land on Little Rock, Arkansas. When I finally went to college in 1991, I would scurry over to a school called Parkview in Little Rock, Arkansas. They had one of the best basketball teams in the nation at that time in the early 90s. 
they were the Parkview Patriots. On that team, four out of the five starters on that team were high school All-Americans. In fact, four out of the five starters went to top-name schools, schools like Florida State, Ole Miss, Stanford. They went to top-name schools, even Sanford, which is still a D1 university, and they played ball their four years there, and eventually they graduated. But there was one person who was somewhat of an unsung hero, and this individual was their point guard. You, you, you didn't know much about him in high school because he wasn't a high school All-American, but one thing that he had was faithfulness. Every time it was time to show up on the court, he, he played his role well. He passed the ball to the right person at the right time, and he took the shot when it was necessary, but he wasn't always taking shots. He was a true point guard. How many of y'all know if you're a true point guard, that means you get the ball to the right person? If you're a true point guard, you're not just trying to shoot the rock every time you come down, but you're getting the ball to the right person for the high percentage shot. Now, this guy was a true point guard, and he decided to stay in Little Rock and play for the hometown school, the University of Arkansas Little Rock. And he started for the University of Arkansas Little Rock as their, their point guard. And, and he played four years, did extremely well. In fact, he did so well, he became uh, the Sun Belt Conference most valuable player. Now, the beauty about this young man is that when you start to think about his faithfulness, staying right there in Little Rock, Arkansas, playing diligently and consistently, showing humility, getting the ball to the right people at the right time in the right way, you knew that this particular person was faithful, but he wasn't an All-American. And the funny thing is, if I started to name the four All-Americans, you wouldn't know one of them. But if I named this young man, you'd know his name well. Some of you would. I, I could even go by his nickname. They called him D. Fish. Anybody know who I'm talking about? Derek Fisher became Sunbelt MVP. Derek Fisher became NBA player and played and won, won championship games for the Los Angeles Lakers and continues to go back to Little Rock, Arkansas to tell young boys and even young girls, just, just stay faithful. And the reason why Derek Fisher was able to play for the National Bas Basketball Association was because Derek Fisher found himself at the right place at the right time. In fact, years ago, you might remember the name Nick Van Exel. Maybe I'm not talking to basketball fans, but I figured I was since I was in Louisville, Kentucky. <laughs> but if you're not a basketball fan, just eavesdrop and I'll keep on preaching. How's about that? But, but right there, I noticed that Derek Fisher, when, when Nick Van Exel was having problems, you know, with, 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 with Shaquille O'Neal, because Nick Van Exel was one of those guards who liked to come down. He, he barely passed the three-point line. He pushing the ball up. And Shaq would be posted up hard, and he'd look at him and say, why do you take that shot? Miss or make it, Shaq would have problems with slick Nick Van Exel. And then next thing you notice, notice, Slick Nick Van Exel found himself getting X out, and the Lakers were looking for a true point guard, someone who could get Shaq the ball. Well, little did they know there was a young man down there in Little Rock, Arkansas, playing for the Sun Belt Conference, who had a coach who just so happened to come in right at the nick of time from Alabama. His name was Wimp Sanders. 
when Sanders had relationships with people who were in the head office for the Los Angeles Lakers. And they said, we're looking for a true point guard, Wimp. He said, I got the man for you. Wimp looked around and said, his name is Derek Fisher. I'll send him up and you tell me what you think. Well, Derek went up there, played with Shaq a little bit. They did their little summer league games, and Derek handled the ball. He got the ball down. He didn't take the big shot. He only took it when it was necessary, but he made sure that the ball got in the hands of the right man. And the rest, as y'all, as we say in history, is history. Because faithfulness in Derek Fisher's life was the building block of his basketball career. But there's something even greater than basketball, and that is becoming a globe trotter for Jesus Christ. And when you're a globe trotter for Jesus Christ, you understand that if you're going to be able to strengthen the church of the living God in the faith, Pastor, you must be faithful. In fact, I think I read the Apostle Paul saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 that it is required of us as stewards of the mysteries of God that we be found what? Faithful. In fact, I read the, in Proverbs chapter 25, 19, that it says that confidence or confidence in an unreliable person in a time of trial or trouble is like a broken tooth or a joint that's out of place. I got a question for you, beloved. What does that cause? Pain. So you must be found faithful or reliable if you are going to be the type of person who strengthens the Lord's church in the faith. Right here in our text, you'll notice that there's a dispute that has arisen. And the dispute in verses 36 through 41 is concerning a mentor by the name of Barnabas with his mentee by the name of Paul. And they are debating about whether or not they should take with them a young man by the name of John Mark on their second missionary journey. You see, John Mark had had deserted them on the first missionary journey. And so now Paul is saying, I don't know if we ought to take John Mark with us. He said, John Mark, when when the going got tough, John Mark got going. When I needed John Mark in place, John Mark was when I tried to pass him the ball, he was down the court. So I don't know if we need to take John Mark with us. Are y'all hearing me this morning? And so they got into a sharp disagreement concerning John Mark. But as we think about this sharp disagreement, I need you to understand that you should not read your personality in the text. Somebody say, help me with that, preacher. You see, some of us, when we have sharp disagreements, we start fussing and cussing. I ain't talking about nobody at this church. But at those other churches, when they have sharp disagreements, sometimes they start fussing and cussing. But the text doesn't say that they started fussing and cussing. No, 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 no. It just says that they had a sharp disagreement concerning John Mark. You see, Paul wanted to go back and to check on the cities, on the churches. He wanted to go back to every city that they planted a church in and to make sure that they were doing well. And he says, as we go to this church, these churches, we need to have reliable men at our right and reliable men at our left. And John Mark has proven that he is unreliable. And he's not going to cause me pain on this second missionary journey. He's not he's not going to not be in place on this second missionary journey. So what we're going to do is we're just going to leave him where he is. 
that I love Barnabas because Barnabas' name translated literally means a son of encouragement. And I love the Apostle Paul because the Apostle Paul was a little rock and he understood that he understood that if he was going to make sure that these churches were strengthened, he had to have the right people in tow. But they both were right, weren't they? See, Barnabas said, let's encourage this boy named John Mark. And Paul said, no, you can encourage him, but I'll take Silas and go south. You can go north. Let's just agree to disagree. They had a sharp disagreement. And in the text, as they have this sharp disagreement, you see that I just want to drop three things in your spirit on this particular Sunday, Lord's Day. And the first thing that I want to drop in your spirit is that in verses 1 through 2, as we get to chapter 16, verses 1 through 2, here's what I want you to know. If faithfulness is going to be the building block for Christian service, I want you to know this, that faithfulness will distinguish you from the unfaithful. Y'all got that? Faithfulness will distinguish you from the unfaithful. Secondly, faithfulness will cause you to go beyond the minimum requirements, verses three through four. And then lastly, verse five, I just want to show you how faithfulness is the only way to strengthen the church. You see, look at the text with me, beloved. Verse 41 ends and it says, as they traveled through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches, verse six, chapter 16 picks up at verse one, and it says, then he went on to Derby and Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman, but his father was a Greek. You see, as they enter into Derby and Lystra, some commentators suggest that the two cities are socioeconomically different. You see, one was an industrial city and the other was agricultural. See, the wise leader, when he is walking around or looking for individuals that are going to serve alongside him, like a true point guard, is going down the court with his eyes open. Are y'all listening to me? You see, the wise leader, just like a true point guard, is not looking at the ground, watching the ball, because if he's watching the ball, anybody can come by and steal it. But the wise leader is looking down the court, handling the rock, watching his players so that if he's looking right, he still can pass left. And now you see the apostle Paul has had a problem, right? He's had a problem with John Mark and Barnabas has decided to go another way and Paul has decided to go another way. But Paul has his eyes wide open. He just traveled through Derby. He just traveled through Lystra. And he says, as he was traveling through there, you just read it with me. He ran into a disciple named Timothy. Everybody say Timothy. You see how Timothy is described? It says that Timothy was a disciple. Timothy's name literally is translated to Matthias in the Greek. And it literally means one who is dear unto God. Are y'all praying with me this morning? Or am I preaching by myself? He he said that he was one who was dear unto God. So now Paul runs into this young man who's dear unto God or God honorer who is called by appellation or description a disciple. That means he's a pupil. That, That means he's a learner. 
That means that he's seeking to humble himself under the lordship of Jesus Christ so that as he engages those who are created in the image of Christ, people will see Jesus and not just him. Y'all see what a disciple is, right? And so now the text says that when Paul sees this man named Timothy, who's a God honorer, the writer Luke decides to tell us who Timothy is. It says that Timothy was the son of a believing Jewish woman. But notice what happens. It says, but his father was a what? His father was a Greek. Now, the question you ought to be asking is, what does this mean that his father was a Greek? Because most of us, if we just read it, we, we perhaps would think that it's just making a statement about his nationality. He was a Greek. Some of us in the 21st century might think that he was a Kappa. No, he wasn't no Kappa. That's not what it means. He was a Greek. He wasn't a Q. He wasn't stepping out. He wasn't a Sigma. He wasn't go mobbing. No, no, no. He was, he was a he was a Greek. And perhaps this is saying something not just about his nationality, but perhaps it was saying something about his spirituality. Y'all say, help me, preacher. Don't make that thing up. You see, in the text now, notice what it says. It says that he was the son of a what? Of a Jewish woman who was a what? Now, 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 now I, I could see if it said that he was a son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, and then it says, and his father was a Gentile believer. But it didn't say that, did it? It said, I, I could see if it said that he, he was the son of a Jewish woman, but his father was a Greek. Then I would say, well, perhaps it's just talking about nationality. But it makes a statement about this boy's mama concerning her relationship to Jesus Christ. Are y'all listening this morning? It says that she was a believer, but strong contrast. His father was a Greek. In other words, I think what was happening in the text was something that some writers call double entendre. Everybody say that, double entendre. Now, what is double entendre? Well, I'm glad you asked. Y'all some sharp folk around here. Double entendre literally is a rhetorical device in which one word has two semantic nuances. Y'all can say, help me with that now. It's a rhetorical device in which one word or term could have two semantic nuances or meanings. I, I watch cartoons on occasions with my boys and and sometimes we, we watch, you know, movies that are, you know, animated cartoons like The Lion King. Anybody seen The Lion King? How many of y'all have seen Lion King 2, Simba's Pride? Am I the only person who watched TV in here? Y'all just shame. Some of y'all putting it up like this here. Like, I, I done watched it. Don't, don't be shamed. We're two hands, two hands. Wave it in the air, y'all. Wave it in the air. Yeah. And so you've seen The Lion King 2, Simba's Pride. And so you know that Simba is the son of Mufasa. Yeah, Mufasa, Mufasa, Mufasa. Yeah, I saw it too. I saw it too. And, and you know that Simba, being the son of Mufasa, actually has a daughter, and he, he has a daughter who actually comes uh, uh, his pride and joy, right, in Lion King 2. But you know that the word Simba's pride, remember, double entendre, the word Simba's pride can have at least two meanings. 
if not three. See, in the Lion King 2, pride could refer to Simba's pride. In other words, a family of lions. Am I right about it? But it also could refer to Simba's pride, that is his psychological state or his emotion that he was prideful. Y'all remember Kohu, right? He had the scar on his face. And they started singing about him. They got so frustrated with him. Rejection. <laughs> disgrace. Y'all remember that? Evil was plain as the scar on his face. He is not one of us. Kovu was, he was walking out. I felt bad for him. Outrage. <laughs> disgrace. Hippo turned around on him. Ostrich looked at him. Y'all yeah, know what I'm talking about. Can I take this off? Let me take this off. Look. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? I'm just talking about double entendre right now. And so here you have now, what's amazing about this text, it said that she was a Jewish believer. Paul said, I had a relationship with this woman. I knew this woman during my first missionary journey because I knew your grandmother Lois and I knew your mother Eunice. Y'all remember him telling Timothy that? He said, that's why, because I knew they placed the faith in you. Because Lois and Eunice placed the faith in you, Timothy, you should not walk with the spirit of fear or timidity, but in power and with a sound mind. Y'all read y'all Bibles, right? And so now the writer Luke is saying something about Timothy. He says he was the son of a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek. Y'all see it now, don't you? See, it's not just talking nationality, that strong contrast. It is saying something about his spirituality. In other words, it's saying that he wasn't waking up on Sunday morning. It's saying that, that he spent time with the bedside Baptist. He loved the Methodist mattress. And that's where you would find him. Finding his comfort and comfort Kojic all the time. Because on Sunday morning, this man wasn't showing up. But he is going to be distinguished from the unfaithfulness of John Mark, as well as being distinguished from the unfaithfulness of his own, very own father. Do y'all see that in the text? It says that his father was a Greek. You see, like I said, Pastor, the, the first principle, if we're going to be faithful to strengthening the Lord's church, is that faithfulness will distinguish you from the unfaithful. You see, when you're faithful, you don't have to tell nobody. People tell others about you. And y'all say that ain't in the Bible. Look, 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 watch this, listen. It says, the brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke highly of him. Some translations, the ESV have simple terms like, and he was well spoken of by the brethren. New American Standard says the same thing. But it says there, because Timothy was faithful, other individuals who were known for their faithfulness were willing to place the mark of faithfulness on him. Do y'all know that's all we're striving after? As we're seeking to be faithful unto the Lord Jesus Christ, those who are faithful unto the Lord Jesus Christ will place the stamp or the brand of approval on those who are faithful. But everybody can't get this brand. That brand takes some work. And the work that that brand takes is that when everybody is stepping to the left, you step into the right. 
When everybody is sitting down, you're standing up. When everybody wants to go to sleep, you're staying awake because you are desiring faithfulness to the one who's faithful. And so, beloved, I got a question for you. Are you faithful? Is that your desire to be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ? Because the Lord Jesus Christ was faithful to you. You see, if you're faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ, your faithfulness will distinguish you from the unfaithful. Lest I hold you too long, the second principle, remember who I said I just had three. The second principle, remember, is that faithfulness will cause you to go beyond the minimum requirements. Stay in your text right there, look. Now the next thing it says, after the brethren speak well of Timothy, verse 3, it says, Paul wanted Timothy to go with him. Now that is powerful. The brethren say something good about him, and the next thing Paul does is say, come with me, I can trust you. He never met Timothy, but he knew the men that he could trust who says he is trustworthy. And he says, I want you to go with me. Now, when we see that, we're like, yeah, ooh, Timothy got a great position. He's with the Apostle Paul running during the second missionary journey. But keep looking at the text because faithfulness will cause you to go beyond the minimum requirements. Because the text says, after that, it says, so he, namely Paul, took him and circumcised him. Y'all can say, ouch. Y'all can say, ouch. Because of the Jews who were in those places since they all knew that his father was a Greek. In other words, the writer Luke is saying that Paul is going to circumcise Timothy because Paul knows that Timothy has Jewish blood. And y'all know that as soon as Paul went into a city, what was the first place he wanted to go? To the synagogue. And he knew that as soon as those Jews found out that Timothy had Jewish blood, they'd be like, rejection, disgrace. And so he said, hey, if they know that you have Jewish blood and they know the covenant of circumcision in Genesis 17 and you haven't been circumcised, he said, I know you're a young man now. I know it wasn't after eight days of your birth. I know there's going to be some pain. But he says, if you're going to run with me, I'm going to tell you what to do right now. And what I'm going to tell you is you need to be circumcised. (laughs) Timothy looked at him. And just submits. That submission is hard, ain't it? But Timothy submits. Now, here's what I love about it, because when you read chapter 15 in light of chapter 16, y'all do know that the whole debate in chapter 15 was about whether or not Gentiles needed to be circumcised. Timothy could have said, well, I thought they said uh, we didn't need to be circumcised. My, My dad is a Greek. I got a little Greek in me too. But Timothy didn't say that, did he? He submits his will to the will of of the Apostle Paul because Timothy is saying to the Apostle Paul, I'm going to do what you say because I desire to be faithful, not only to you, but faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes beyond the minimum requirement. Now see, some of us just want to do just enough 
to get by. But let me tell you something. If you're one of those individuals who simply wants to do just enough to get by, all you would do is get by. Y'all see? That ain't rocket science, is it? But if you're one of those individuals who say, I'm going to do even more than they expect of me because I've received even more than I expected. You see, Pastor Stan told me before I preached, and he told me yesterday, he said, you know, when I come to church to sit under the word, I come with expectation. He said he wants to hear from the Lord in the text. And all of us, when we come before the Lord, we are willing to go beyond the minimum requirements because we know that the Lord has great expectations for us. And we say to God, God, I will do exactly what you say when you say it, because I want to be in place, God, when you seek to throw me the ball. Even when the clock is ticking down, if you pass it to me, that means that you can trust me to take the shot. Are y'all listening to me? You see, Paul is on this second missionary journey. And on the second missionary journey, Paul doesn't have time to play around. So he's looking for a disciple who he can trust. And Paul tells this disciple, I am going to have you circumcised. And we read this text without remembering that in the first century, there was no medicinal aids, right? See, we read the text, we start reading what into it? Anesthesia. You better read Rusty Knife. First century, and he circumcised him. See, somebody feels it. They said, "Woo!" Some of y'all brothers feel it too. I see you. I see your faces. They're like oh, up there. That brother, like, hmm, hmm. Yeah, yeah. He went beyond the minimum requirements. And so the text is showing us that if we're going to be faithful, it will require us, yes, to go beyond the minimum requirements because Jesus Christ always in our lives does the same for us, does he not? I see Jesus in the garden. Jesus is saying, take this cup away from me, Father. But then he responds with, but nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. I'm going to submit. I will go beyond what some people think is the minimum requirements, but you require this before the foundation of the earth. And I agree with you before we even made man that I was going to do what I had to do. And he submits. You see, Jesus Christ is humble and meek. And because Jesus is humble and meek, you see humility and meekness, even in this this disciple named Timothy, as he submits his will to the will of the Apostle Paul so that churches can be strengthened in the faith. Lest I hold you too long. They go from the circumcision. And then verse 4, it says, And as they traveled through the towns, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and the elders. That's what I talked about earlier in chapter 15 at Jerusalem for them to observe. And then verse 5 says, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily.
You see, the last principle is simply this. Hear it well again. Faithfulness is the only way to strengthen the church in the faith. Did y'all hear that? If you want to see this church strengthened, it will require every baptized believer in here to mark on their hearts that you will be found faithful. In fact, the Kentucky Baptist Convention has as a mission statement that we were created by churches for churches to help churches reach Kentucky and the world for Jesus Christ. When it starts, when we start explaining our core values to the local church, we say that as one team, our values are centered around this idea of teams. Because we have five teams that make up the Kentucky Baptist Convention. And we say, but we are one team working with the local church, making sure that we're passing the ball to the right church at the right time. And beloved, that teams is our core values. The first T stands for, guess what? Trustworthy. And the verse that influences that trustworthiness, I already quoted, was Proverbs 25, 19. The second, the E stands for encouraging because we want to find joy in our ministry and help others find joy in theirs. The A means accountable because we understand that we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And Colossians 3, verses 23 through 25 says that we work as unto the Lord and not as I pleases. We work when you're looking, and we work when you ain't looking. And we're going to be accountable to the Lord and accountable to the local church because we want to be found faithful. The M stands for mature because the last time we checked, the Bible says that all of us should be pursuing godliness, that we should discipline ourselves for the purpose of what? Godliness. Because we know that godliness with contentment is great gain. And then the last S for teens means that we want to be sensitive. And why do we want to be sensitive? Because we know that cultural sensitivity explained throughout the gospel means that we meet people where they are, but we never seek to leave them there. You see, when these churches were being strengthened in the faith by Paul and Silas and Timothy, they were being strengthened based upon three men who said, we're going to do exactly what God requires of us. And the reason why I think they could do it was because they never forgot the gospel. How many of y'all know that the gospel is simply this? That when you weren't fit to live, but you weren't ready to die, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead, one with the Father and one with the Spirit, did for you what you could not do for yourself. Jesus Christ died the death that you deserve and lived the life that you could not live and resurrected from the grave because the absolute wrath of a holy God crushed the Son so that you would not be crushed. And when you see Jesus Christ being crushed by his father and you see the father weeping as he crushes his son because of his love for his church and he says to the son, even though I crush you, I'm not going to leave you there because the spirit and I who are one with you will resurrect you from the grave. 
And then you can hear Jesus say, as he's being challenged by the Pharisees, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. In other words, Jesus said, I'm going to play a part in my own resurrection because I am God. And when you see the faithfulness of the triune God to his church, all it can do is make you faithful. So I got a question for you. Are you going to be faithful this morning? Are you going to walk when everybody else sits down? Are you going to jump when people just standing? Are you going to run when they trotting? I want to know, are you going to be faithful? If you're going to be faithful, stand on your feet and say, God, I'll be faithful. But if you're not going to be faithful, sit down. Because God only wants those who are running with his church. They know who to pass to. They know when to shoot. And they know when to backslide. Because they're concerned about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what God requires of us. He wants us to be faithful. And I'm telling you, when you're faithful, everybody knows it. You don't have to tell anybody. They say it about you. May the Lord bless you as you live for him. Father, thank you so much for your grace. And thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the Apostle Paul and his faithfulness. Thank you for his love for your church. Thank you for picking, that Paul picked up Timothy and he had Silas alongside him and they decided to strengthen your church. Lord, I pray that you would use the men and the women of God here at Forest to strengthen your church in the faith because God, that's what you require of us to be found faithful. And that's all we want. And then we'll die and see you. In Jesus' name, amen, and thank God.